Well, if you're just joining us, um, let's make sure I'm on here. Yep. Am I on? Good. I think we can go up just a little bit, though. Can you hear me all right? Good. Very good. Hey, if you're just joining us today, we have just started last week a sermon series on 1 Peter, the New Testament epistle by St. Peter. And last week, Randy kicked us off with chapter 1. This week, we're going to look at chapter 2. So I'd like to read a portion of chapter 2 for you, and then we'll reflect on it together. We begin at verse 4. Peter writes, As you come to Jesus, the living stone, rejected by humans, but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For in Scripture it says, See, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone, and the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. Isaiah 28:16. Now to you who believe, this stone is precious. But to those who do not believe, the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. Psalm 118, 22. And a stone that causes people to stumble and a rock that makes them fall. Isaiah 8.14 They stumble because they disobey the message, which is also what they were destined for. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Hosea 2.23 Dear friends, I urge you, as foreigners and exiles, to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans that, though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray together. Lord, just as you anointed Peter with your Holy Spirit to write these words in the first place, would you now illumine our understanding that these words would become for us read and proclaimed the very word of God. In Jesus' name, amen. There is a dangerous false teaching, a heresy that is promulgated in many pulpits in America today, and you've heard of it. It's called the health and wealth gospel. Raise your hand if you've heard this term, health and wealth gospel. Good. Whether in pulpits or on radio broadcasts or even in some television broadcasts of services, preachers are proclaiming a health and wealth gospel. And it goes something like this. If you trust in Jesus, you then will experience the blessings of God. You'll know better health, you'll have financial prosperity, you will have all the blessings of God heaped upon you. All you need do is know the promises of the Bible and claim them. Name them and claim them. The trouble with this is is it sets up Christians for a terrible disappointment because Christians do, in fact, following Jesus, suffer. And the health and wealth gospel is is really not helpful. Christians who follow Jesus with faithfulness will know suffering. It was true of Jesus, this living stone, rejected by people. 
yet chosen and precious of God, and it will be true for those who follow him, the other living stones. And so Peter, in our text today, writes to give Christians then and Christians now perspective, to remind us of our deeper identity, and to encourage us in our calling as the people of God. To do this, Peter uses Old Testament terms for Israel originally and applies them to the church, to the New Testament church. And we see this in other parts of the New Testament. For example, Matthew's Gospel. In Matthew's Gospel shows how Jesus Christ is the fulfillment of all God promised to Israel in the Old Testament and that in Jesus, we, his people, uh, carry forth God's message to the world. So in our text today, Peter reminds Christ's followers then and now about who we are as God's people. So I'd like to unpack this for you. Let's begin. God's people are, number one, living stones, a spiritual house. Let's take a look at the text. Peter says, you also, you Christians, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house. Living stones and spiritual house. This makes us reimagine holy space, holy land, holy buildings, and a holy people. A lot of you know that I have led uh, Holy Land pilgrimages uh, many, many times uh, to the Middle East. And I, in the last three or four that we've led in this church, we have gone with a particular organization that emphasizes living stones pilgrimages. Here's a picture. This is our most recent pilgrimage back in 2018. 32 of us went to the Holy Land. And the group we went with called this Living Stones Pilgrimages. Well, why that? Because of our text. Of course, when you go to the Holy Land, you want to see the ancient stones. You want to see the historic sites. And that's well and good. But there are living stones in the land that are just as important, if not more important. These are the people of God who are in the land. Did you know that there's been an Arab Christian presence in the Holy Land continuously since the day of Pentecost? Remember that when the Holy Spirit fell on all those people in Acts chapter 2, part of those people were Arab Christians, or Arabs rather, who became Christians. And there is a group of Palestinian Christians still faithfully bearing witness to Jesus in the Holy Land. And our groups go and meet with them. We have fellowship with them. We eat meals together. We worship together. We serve alongside them. We pray for them. This is what it means to have a living stones pilgrimage. Well, granted, we go and we do see the ancient stones. And here's another picture, very famous. This is the Temple Mount known by the Islamic people as Haram al-Sharif. And there you look across from the Mount of Olives down through the Valley Kidron and you see the Temple Mount so hotly contested You know, don't you, that this is the most contested piece of property in the world. Many people believe that if there's a third world war to break out, it will break out here. This is a flashpoint. Why? Because of all the emphasis on ancient stones. You can see that this is the third most holy site in Islam behind Mecca and Medina. And for Jews, it is the holiest site. Let's look at this next picture. A very famous uh, place, this is the Western Wall, and there to the right is the temple foundation, the original stones laid by Herod in the first century to build the temple. That's all that remain. And Jews and others can come and pray and put prayers in the cracks of these foundation stones. All this emphasis 
on ancient stones when Peter wants us to focus on living stones. You know, this became very clear to me when uh, we went to uh, the Church of the Holy Sepulchre, which is just a stone's throw from the Western Wall. Here's a picture of it. The Church of the Holy Sepulchre commemorates where Christ rose from the dead on that first Easter morning. And when we were there most recently, it took us hours to get in. The, the lines were crushing. They were so long, and people were passing out because of dehydration. All of us to see uh, a traditional site. And I remember at the time, the words that the angels spoke to those women at the tomb on that first Easter morning. Do you remember them? Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here. He is risen. All this emphasis on ancient stones, when what God is calling us to is to celebrate and be living stones, a spiritual house. Because of this, in Jesus, holy land is reimagined. Holy buildings are reimagined, and a holy people are reimagined. We don't need to build or rebuild a third temple on the Temple Mount as some Christians teach. No, that's pointless. We are living stones built into a spiritual house. That's our first point. Our second point today is that we are also a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. Let's look at the text. Peter says, but you, and the word in Greek is emphatic, but you yourselves, you Gentile Christians of Asia Minor, you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession. This is a great honor. And these words were originally terms given to Israel. Now they're applied to the church. Look at Exodus 19.6. There, through Moses, God says, you Israelites will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words you're to speak to the Israelites. Do you see what Peter's doing? Peter is taking these words originally meant for Israel and he's applying them to the church. Applying them to Christians who in Jesus Christ now assume these identities and roles. The chosen people are no longer just the Jews, but in Christ all Christians. John in the book of Revelation makes it so clear. Take a look at this next text. Saying uh, there in an act of worship, the people proclaim about Jesus these words. With your blood, you purchased for God persons from every tribe and language and people and nation. You have made them to be a kingdom and priests to serve our God and they will reign on the earth. Not just the Jewish people. Now in Jesus Christ, every people who come to Jesus in faith now are a kingdom of priests. Amazing. This, by the way, was what Martin Luther rediscovered in the 16th century Protestant Reformation. Martin Luther, who we remember next Sunday, on Reformation Sunday. You know this story, many of you. Luther and others were scholars, trained in the ways of the Renaissance with all the language faculties they had, and they rediscovered the Bible. They began to read the Old Testament in Hebrew, the New Testament in Greek, and they began to see the aberrations of the church of the time. And they began to see the clear way that God had for the church in the Bible. And Luther discovered this. The priesthood of all believers. Luther said this, a famous quote. 
All Christians, and they alone, even women, are priests. That is remarkable. In 1523, Luther could say that. Paving the way for women in ministry. Remarkable that he discovered that, rediscovered it in the Bible. Luther went on to say this. A shoemaker, a smith, a farmer, each has his manual occupation and work, and yet, at the same time, all are eligible to act as priests and bishops. Every one of them in his occupation or handicraft ought to be useful to his fellows and serve them. This is the priesthood of all believers. It means that you, right where you are, retired or not, working outside the home, working in the home, a student, whatever it is you do, you are a priest. A priest to serve in the name of Jesus Christ, to minister God's word to others. Luther thought that if you were baptized, that was your ordination. Every single Christian is a priest. Well, what does this actually mean? Let's think about it for a minute. Let's consider the word priest. Priest is based on a Latin word, pontifex, which has as its root the word pontus, which is a bridge. A priest is a bridge. A bridge between God and people. A priest is a conduit between the two, ministering on behalf of the people to God through praise and prayer, ministering from God to the people with his word and with forgiveness and with the good news of his love. And all of us are priests. We're go-betweens. Isn't that something? We have an honored place, every one of us. And this is a hallmark of our Presbyterian and Protestant tradition. All of us as priests can minister the word. All of us can hear confession and declare absolution or pardon. This all of us can do. As priests, we also can offer spiritual sacrifices. What is this? It's the consecration of our lives to God in service. It's prayer and praise. All of this is what we offer as priests. Friends, we are living stones being built into a spiritual house, and we are a kingdom of priests. We no longer need a temple. We no longer need animals for sacrifice. We don't even need a clerical elite. How does this strike you? Isn't this something? But let me be clear before I lose my job. (laughs) Luther did believe that there was a role for preachers and teachers of the word. They weren't any different from the rest of the followers of Jesus. They just were set apart for this one ministry. And that's why we do train and equip and ordain preachers and pastors. But that doesn't make us any different from you. We all are priests. We all have a ministry to glorify God together. Let's keep going. As God's people, we are chosen, a royal priesthood, and we are a holy nation. Let that sink in. A holy nation. Christ's body of believers globally form one nation under the lordship of Jesus. How important this is for us to realize. Because right now there is an an uh, uprising, a resurgence of Christian nationalism. It's where our Christian faith is being ripped up from its roots and applied too closely to a political platform. And when this happens, it can be terrifying and very, very dangerous. 
Uh, Alan Harvey, an elder in our church, and I have been teaching a six-week class called Babylon, Barman, and the Bible, Church and Nation in Christian Perspective. And we've been looking at how God called Israel to be a nation to serve all the nations of the world and how this calling was fulfilled in Jesus and now all nations are welcome in Jesus to form one holy nation. And what it does is it dispenses with a primacy of one particular earthly nation. And that's good. Every ethnicity, every race, every background, one nation in Jesus And this ought to give us pause when we align our faith too closely with one national system. Okay, three points. Living stones, we're a spiritual house, that's number one. Number two, we're a chosen people, a royal priesthood. And then there's a third point. We are foreigners and exiles. Let's take a look at our text. Peter says, Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. Foreigners and exiles. Believe it or not, Peter's doing something very significant here. He's taking that phrase, foreigners and exiles, and he is directly connecting it to Abraham in the Old Testament. Take a look at this next passage. Abraham used those very same words to describe himself. He said, I am a foreigner and stranger or an exile among you. In Greek, those are the very same words that Peter uses. Peter is making this connection between Abraham and the New Testament people of God. And this is a great quote by a New Testament scholar, Karen Jobes. Peter reminds his readers that they stand in a long tradition of people who were chosen by God and called to be aliens and strangers in the places where they lived. This draws Peter's readers into continuity with the nation of Israel. Wow. This is so significant. This has a missional implication. When God's people recognize that they themselves are foreigners and exiles, they then will be called into compassion for foreigners and exiles. This was key in the Old Testament. Take a look at Exodus 22, 21. There God says, and this is a drumbeat in the Old Testament, you shall not wrong or oppress a resident alien, for you were aliens in the land of Egypt. God's people then and God's people now, their very identity is of foreigners and aliens. And this is meant to give them compassion, to serve, to seek justice for foreigners and aliens in their midst. Such a big heartbeat of of God. There's another missional implication here. That term exiles recalls the Babylonian exile. And it's meant to mark the church. Take a look at this text. Jeremiah 29.7. Where in the Old Testament, in the 6th century BC, the deported Judean exiles living in captivity in Babylon were told this. You... Seek the welfare of the city where I've sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf for in its welfare you will find your welfare. Friends, let's be very clear. As exiles, then and now, God's people are not the dominant culture. They're not the privileged majority. Rather, we are a persecuted minority. We are a persecuted minority, and we always have been. 
working from the margins, doing mission, much of the time counterculturally, subversively, secretly. And other Christians in other parts of the world, they understand this in a way that we don't. Think of Christians in China who cannot worship publicly. They know what it means to be on the margins and to serve and seek Jesus. Think about the Middle East where in Muslim-dominant countries, churches worship in secret under great stress. They know what it means to be Christians who are in exile. Think about Christians in Central Asia or in Burma or other places where they're under persecution. They're not the dominant majority. They're a minority. This is our fundamental identity, according to Peter. We are foreigners and exiles. The global church gets it, but we American Christians seem to miss it. And sadly, we often seek to use worldly power to somehow return to a golden age, supposedly, where we're central to culture again. And this is fruitless. This is not our identity, according to Peter. Three points today. God's people are living stones, a spiritual house. It reimagines for us what it means to have spiritual property and spiritual buildings. Number two, we are a chosen people, a royal priesthood. Every one of us called into ministry to serve as priests. And number three, we are foreigners and exiles. We are not the dominant culture. We live on the margins and we have a mission from the margins. Well, what do we do with all this? Well, let's let Peter have a final word. We live this. We live it out for him in this way. Look what Peter says. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. That's our mission. That's what we go into the world tomorrow morning to do. Let us do so to the glory of God. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for my brothers and sisters, whether they're online or whether they are here in the sanctuary, each one of them chosen and precious before you. I pray that you would be with them and give them courage in this calling to be your priests, men, women, old, young, all of us, your bridge to the world. Show us what that means in our work and in our school and in our retirement and wherever we are. May you receive the glory in Jesus' name. Amen.